Please take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22 this morning. Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 10. We're at the end this morning. The end of the Bible, end of the book of Revelation. And the message at the end of the Revelation is that Jesus is coming. So we've sung about it this morning. We're reading about it now. Four times in 14 verses, John writes that Jesus is coming. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming. Behold, I am coming. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And he says, Yes, I am coming quickly. I am convinced that more than ever, you and I need the message, the reminder that our Christ, our King, is coming back. That we need to remember that soon and very soon, our King will return. See, when we remember this, the knowledge that our King is coming back, it directs our lives, it changes our lives, it points us toward the reality that we do have a King who is coming back. It reminds us that our lives are to be aimed towards something. You know, I think a lot of you can identify with me when I say this. A lot of times our lives can get very, very full. A lot of times our lives can get very full and very busy at times. You know, I think a lot of times we can feel like our lives are part of just this rushing river of event after event and thing after thing and one thing that we have to do after another. A lot of good things. But our lives can feel like we are just being rushed along just in the pace and, and the, the tide of life. And so when everything comes together, all that we have going on, our lives turn into a blur. And suddenly we look and say, how can it be almost November? How can I possibly be here? Do you ever wake up and wonder what has happened to the last few months? I believe that most of us live under what I, I would call the tyranny of life, in, in that our lives tend to get full. Our lives are like a vacuum, that nature abhors a vacuum, that, so our lives tend to get more and more stuff accumulating that we're involved in, that we do, and so no matter what, it seems like our days, our lives are full. When you're a student, you say, once I'm done with school, life is going to slow down. When you have little kids, you say, when they get a little bit older, life is going to slow down. When you have teenagers, you say, please help me. Sometimes you're in survival mode. Then when your, your kids are gone and you're kind of in the empty nest stage of life, that time that you thought, now I'm going to have time, you find out that the time gets filled pretty quickly. And then you get to the point of retirement where you say, finally, now I have plenty of time. You say, I, I'm busier now than when I was working. Our lives tend to be filled. And here's a truth that we need to learn. 
One of the tools that Satan uses in our lives is to fill our lives so that our lives are directed and moved along by the stuff in our lives. That our lives get so full that those things that are in our life set the pace, set the direction, and guide our lives. But instead, we have a king who is coming back. We have a king who will soon and very soon come. And the truth of his coming should be something that causes us to have the right direction in our lives. That should keep us from being ruled by the tyranny of our life and the things that go on in our life. And so that rather being consumed by the busyness of our lives, we become consumed by the one who reigns over our life. Church, I believe that you and I need the reminder that our king is coming back. We need the reminder that the stuff of this world will one day cease to be. We need the reminder that the direction of our lives is not to be directed by the course of our busyness, of our schedules, but directed by the fact that our king is coming back. We need the reminder that the direction and focus of our lives is to be determined by the reality that our Savior is one day coming back, just like we have sung about. In a world where anything and everything can be a distraction from the purpose of glorifying God, I need the reminder that my king is coming back and that the one direction and the one purpose of my life is to be that he be glorified through me. When we get the truth that our Savior is coming back, it changes the direction of our lives. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, beginning at verse 10. When we get the reality of Christ's return, it will change, number one, how we live. Listen to what John writes. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The book of Revelation was written during a time in which the church was experiencing some major persecution. Uh, when, when Christ rose and the church was small, there's just a small band of, of Christians, the Roman government kind of overlooked uh, the church. But as the church grew and there became more and more believers, as the numbers multiplied into the many thousands, tens of thousands, the Roman government began to take notice of the growth of the church. And so there began to be this persecution that broke out against the people of God. Some were having their possessions confiscated. Some were having uh, themselves thrown in jail. Others were losing their lives for the sake of standing for Christ. And so Christians all across the empire are suffering because they are claiming the name of Christ. And so here comes the book of Revelation. John writing during this time, seeing this revelation, seeing that God is going to deal with all this injustice that's in the world. 
God is going to bring an end to evil Babylon. God is going to bring an end to evil once and for all. God is going to finally bring it all to an end. No more injustice, only righteousness. And one day Christ is coming back. And so here, in in the midst of this, at the end of this vision, Jesus says, do not seal up the words that I've given you in this book of prophecy. In other words, you need this message that I'm giving you. The church right now needs the message that you are seeing. The time is drawing close. And so now as we, as we think about that context and we think about what the church was going through at that time, we would think right now that Jesus' next words are going to be something of comfort to the church and the persecution and the suffering that they're going through. Think it might be something along the lines of, hold on just a little bit longer, I'm coming back. Persevere through the suffering that you're experiencing because just a little bit longer, I'm coming back. But that's not the message that Revelation ends with. Listen again what, how Revelation ends here in verse 11. He says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. The one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Thinking about my coming soon, the unrighteous are going to continue to be unrighteous. The ungodly are going to continue to be ungodly. But you, in the midst of that, you be godly, you be holy, in the midst of a world that is ungodly and is unholy. Now, this isn't the message that I would expect. And I'm not sure that this is the message that John would expect. You know, he's exiled on the island of Patmos, kind of as a prisoner in this. And so he might be expecting words of comfort at this moment, words of just waited out for just a little bit longer. But instead, Jesus says, as you are going through this, you be holy. You be godly in the midst of this. Now, this isn't the only place where the Bible speaks about enduring in this kind of way. Think about the words that that Todd read just a few minutes ago. Peter was writing to a church that was undergoing major persecution, a church that was suffering. And, And so as Peter was writing and saying, the end is coming, I am going to bring all things to an end, he doesn't say, hold on just a little bit longer. He says, but you be diligent to be spotless on that day. You be diligent to show yourself holy and right before God on that day. So why is this message to suffering Christians be holy? Why is the message to the church, while they are undergoing such difficult times, make sure that you remain spotless for the day that he comes back? So here's the truth. You and I, are not called to merely get by. Christians are never called just to merely endure, to hold it out, to ride it out until the end. But instead, as Christians, we are called, the command that is upon us at all times is to be holy as he is holy. Jesus' message wasn't just hang on just a little bit longer. His message was you live in holiness in the midst of everything that is going on in your life. Now, for most of us in here, I don't think the issue is that we're going through times of persecution. Some of you may be going through times of suffering. 
But I believe that the issue that many of us are facing is that there are times where we live the Christian life as if we are just getting by, as we are just going through the motions of day-to-day existence. You know, when I look at my life, when, I, when I'm honest and when I just examine my life, I think too often there are days and there are weeks when I am just going through the motions of surviving through a busy schedule. It's not that, it's not that I'm doing anything particularly wrong. It's not that my day is filled with bad things. It's filled with lots of good things. But sometimes the tyranny of the day means that my, my aim is just at surviving through the day. But the reality of what we see in Scripture is that we are never commanded just to have these directionless days, directionless weeks, but instead our lives are to be aimed toward a particular purpose. Our lives, each and every moment, each and every day, are to be aimed, directed toward the purpose of our lives glorifying God. You see, I think too often, too often our, our tendency is that we are ruled by the tyranny of our lives, of the many things that we have going on. Surviving through the job during the day, rushing from one thing to another, just making it through the challenges of watching over your kids during the day, enduring through suffering, another day of loneliness, another day of just putting in the time at your job. And our lives tend to be consumed with the things that are in our lives. And the direction of our lives begins to be set by just the stuff that we have going on in our lives. This is where we need the reminder that our king is coming back. When we remember the truth that our king is returning, it changes how we live. It changes the direction of our lives. So we are not satisfied with merely enduring. So that we're not satisfied with merely getting by day to day. We're not satisfied with just surviving through another busy day or another busy week. When we start thinking about the reality that our, ki- our king is soon and very soon coming back for us, it changes how we desire to live for him, desire to have holiness in the midst of our schedules, in the midst of our days. And so then we begin to start thinking about how can I live in godliness and holiness in the midst of my job? How can I live in godliness and in holiness, student, while you are at school dealing with everything that you have to there? How can I live in godliness and in holiness in the midst of taking care of my kids at home? How can I live in godliness and holiness in the midst of those times where I'm suffering from loneliness being by myself? And so how would, this is my question, how would your practical holiness, living out day-to-day holiness, change if we thought about the imminent return of Christ? How would that affect your desire for living godly, holy lives 
in your day-to-day existence? Is there some sin in your life that you have been tolerating and that you have not been dealing with? Do you find yourself caught up in life and not being concerned for living holy as he is holy in the midst of your life? Jesus says to deal with this. In verse 14, he said, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Jesus is not speaking here about that time of salvation. Jesus is speaking here about you living day to day in righteousness and godliness. It's a picture of walking in purity. Is there something in your life that you have been tolerating in which you need to walk and live in purity? That you need to wash your robes of some sin that you are struggling with? Are you walking through your days just being directed by the schedule of your days without giving thought to the reality of how do I live holy in the midst of my day? How do I live godly in what I'm going through? When we remember that our Savior is coming soon, it changes how we live. When we remember that our King is coming soon, it changes also what we work for. Listen again to God's word and what he says. Jesus, speaking in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus says he is coming. He is coming quickly. And when he comes, he is going to bring his reward with him. Now, there are two difficult things about this verse that I want us to notice. First of all, Jesus says that he's returning quickly. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but that's 2,000 years ago. And so obviously, Jesus has not come back yet. So this brings up the question, has God been slack in keeping the promise that he made here? Has he failed to come back quickly as he said he would? Now hopefully, your answer to that is no, that our God is always faithful to his promises. He is not slack in keeping that. And so what is going on? See, the reality of of this matter is that you and I measure time differently than God measures time. Our standard measure for time is periods and events. God's standard measure of time is eternity. In the blink of an eye, he will return one day. I don't know when he's coming back, and you don't know when he's coming back. But the reality is, is that he is the alpha and the omega. He is the creator of all things, and he is the finisher of all things, the beginning and the end. And one day he is going to come back to bring all things to an end. And so the second issue that we have here is he says that he is coming with his reward. What does he mean that he is coming with a reward for us? The word that's used here is a word that means wage. It's the earning. It's it's what's deserved when he comes back. And so he is bringing what we deserve with him when he comes back. Now Jesus isn't teaching here that there is a salvation by works. He's not teaching that you earn your way to God. We, we know that, and we know that's false. But what he is saying here is that we will be judged and we will re- be rewarded for the deeds that we do for him. All through the New Testament especially, we see the idea of some kind of reward uh, when we stand before him. Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then recompense, give reward to every person according to his deeds. So what is the reward that Jesus is speaking about here? I'm not really sure. 
I, I, I don't know exactly what all this means when it says that we will receive a reward. But here's what I do know. I do know what the greatest reward is. The greatest reward when our king comes back is that we get our king. It is not the things that we think about in heaven with streets of gold and and those other things. When Christ comes back, the greatest thing that you and I get, the reward that we get, is that we get our king himself. We get to stand in the presence of the one who has saved us, and we get to know him. There is nothing else that compares to that. Is there any greater reward than knowing our king? Nothing compares to that. And so this is the reward that we get, the greatest reward. And so here's the reality. When we remember that Christ is returning and that we remember that we get the reward of God, then that will change what we work for in our lives. It will change what we give ourselves to in this life. You consider, you look at the reality that Christ is coming back and then you take stock of your life. You look at your life and you say, am I living where the Bible says the wood, hay, and stubble of this world. Is that what my life is directed toward? Is that what I'm working toward? Or you take stock of your life and you look at your life and say, or am I, am I living for the treasure that lasts? The treasure that will not be burned up. The treasure of my God. You remember the story in Acts in which Stephen was being stoned. You know, he had stood and he had proclaimed the truth of the gospel, truth of who Christ was, and then and the Jews turned against him and they began stoning him. And Acts describes this situation. It says that, that uh, Stephen looked up and he looked up into a heaven and he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now usually whenever we see Jesus at the right hand of God in the New Testament, is describing Jesus as what? Sitting, right? So why, as Stephen is being stoned, getting ready to die, does he look up and he see Jesus standing? Because he is getting ready to receive his reward. Jesus is standing ready to welcome the testimony of the one who is giving his life in proclaiming the gospel. You see, when we recognize the reward that we will get, that it will be God himself, that it will be our king, then that frees us to lay everything down for the sake of giving our all for our king because we realize that the things that of this world are hay, wood, and stubble that will be burned up, but the things of laying up treasures in heaven, giving our all for the sake of the gospel is things that will last for eternity, that our God stands up, our Savior stands up and welcomes that testimony. This, this is the thing that we are to work for. And so when we get, when we get the reality that our King is coming back, then that changes what we desire, what we work for in our lives. So knowing that your King is coming back You lay everything down in service to your king. Is God calling you to risk greatly for his glory? It is worth it for you to risk everything, to lay down your life, if so be, for his glory, for the reward of getting your king. Brother and sister, it is worth it 
to give all of your life for his glory because at the end you get God. Student, it is worth it for you to risk your popularity, risk your position on the team, risk whatever for the sake of you proclaiming Christ in your school. It is worth it, I promise you, for the reward of your king. Moms, it is worth it for you to day in and day out point your kids to Christ as you endure some of the difficulties that come with dealing with little kids. It is worth it. It is worth any cost that you might pay in your life to give your life fully to Christ. It is worth it because in the end, you get your king. So you live for the reward of eternity, not for the temporal things of this world. Now, here's the flip side to that. The flip side is that God is coming and he is bringing his reward. But he is also bringing what is justly deserved, the wage that is deserved for sin. For those who have never had their sins forgiven, Jesus is coming back with the wage that those sins deserve. And he will bring judgment on them. For some of you here this morning, for some of you here this morning, the coming of Christ will be a fearful moment. The book of Revelation tells us what the day will be like for those who have never submitted to Christ, who have never had their sins forgiven, who have never followed him as king and given their lives wholly to him. Revelation 6 says that when Christ comes, says the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? When he returns, those who have not submitted to him will call out for the rocks to fall on him rather than face the judgment of God. Right now, you are before a holy God. And there is one day that you will stand before a holy God and you will receive the judgment of God. And if that is you here this morning, you may think that that day is far off. Or you may think that you have many years left in your life. Or you may not even believe the words that I am saying this morning. But I, I promise you the reality of what I am saying is true. There is coming a moment when the king will return and you will bow your knee, but at that point it will be too late. Now, here is the good news. Revelation ends with the call to come. Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost come. God cries out, If that is you, come. The church cries out, If that is you, come. Do you thirst? 
for spiritual satisfaction? Do you look at your life and you see that you have no rest in this world? You have no satisfaction. It's because you were created for a purpose and you're not living for that purpose. You're created to live in fellowship with God, but you're not doing so. And you will never find rest until you do so. Do you see the wrong that is in your life that has separated you from God? Come to him. Do you see that you were created not for yourself but for God? Come to him. Take the water of life without cost. I plead with you, come to him if that is you. And you will find life. You will find your Savior. You will find your King so that when the day that he comes back, you will look to him not as the one who is judging your sin forever and you will spend eternity away from him, but you will look to him and you will see him as your King and you will spend eternity with him. And you will get the greatest reward of all is that you will get God. And there is nothing that compares with that, I promise. So when we get the reality that our King is coming back, it changes the way we live. It changes what we work for. And finally, it changes what we long for. At the end of this chapter, starting in verse 18, it says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So we get a picture here of two things at the end of Revelation. First thing, do not alter the words of this prophecy. You need what is said here in the book of Revelation as is essential for you living godly life before our God. And the second thing here is that when we understand the words of this prophecy, when we understand the reality that our king is coming back, that he is bringing his reward, that he is bringing all things to an end, that he is bringing complete victory over sin and death and evil, then we long for him to come back. That's what he prays here at the end. Come, Lord Jesus. Do you long for, do you ache for the return of your king? Do you want that? At the end of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul ended that letter with a simple prayer. He ended it with just the words, Lord, come praying for Jesus to return. But it's interesting the way he wrote this. He wrote this in a language that the people at Corinth didn't even speak. He wrote it in Aramaic. He wrote it in the common language of the Jews at the time. It's a word you've heard before, Maranatha. means, Lord, come. That, that seems strange. Why would he do that? It, it's like me right now starting out speaking in Spanish. You wouldn't understand. So why would he do this to the church at Corinth? It's because evidently this prayer, Lord come, was so common among all the Christians during that time that even those who didn't understand the language, that even the messed up church at Corinth knew that prayer, that longing, that all the Christians, all the churches during this time were regularly calling out, Lord, come. 
Lord, come. Lord, come. We long for you to come back. Lord, come. Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Lord, come. Do you long? Do you long for your king to come back? Do you want to see your king? You know, as I, as I look at my life, I wonder if all too long my life and, and, and our lives are, aren't given to directionless days. Not easy days, but directionless. Just going through all the busyness of our lives. Scattered to a thousand different things. But not directed toward our king. When we remember that our king is coming... It changes how we live. How would you be different if you kept the reality of Christ's return at the forefront of your mind? How would that change the way you seek to live in holiness in your day-to-day life? How would that change the way you serve your king and give yourself unto him for his glory? How would it change your longing for him to come back? Let's pray together. Our God, we do confess. We, we long for the day when you'll come back. We long for the moment to see you coming on the clouds of glory. Our Savior returning, our King coming. Long to see that day when we stand before you forever. God, we want our king. God, help us to live in the reality that soon and very soon you are coming back. We do not know the day, we do not know the time, but help us to live. Help us to live looking forward to that day, anticipating that day, living in holiness, desiring that day, longing for it, serving you with fullness of heart, gladness of heart, giving our all to you because we long to see you one day. Help us, help us to live in light of that reality. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.